بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الحمد کریم اما آباد الحمد للہ جنائی از دا ٹوینٹی فورتھ آف ڈسمبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی ٹو الحمد للہ وی موو آن ٹو دا ففتھ نائٹ دیٹ وی Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu And I've started the subsection in which we're inshallah becoming acquainted with some of his noble family members. And thus far I've mentioned three of his noble brothers. Abu Umar ibn Abu Talha who passed away in his, in his uh, early years radiyallahu And I mentioned Abdullah ibn Abu Talha who was martyred uh, during the Persian campaigns. And then I mentioned one of his younger brothers who passed away in infancy as well. So the next blessed personality from his family is his blessed maternal grandmother, Sayyidah Mulaika radiyallahu anhu. So like I mentioned, in Sayyid Bukhari, number 860 in the chapter on Azan, Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu anhu, he said, My grandmother Mulaika radiyallahu anhu, once invited Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for a meal which he had prepared for him. On arrival, he ate some of it and thereupon said, Arise, I shall now lead you in salah. I thereupon brought out a mat that had become black owing to excessive use and I sprinkled water upon it. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam thereupon stood upon it and offered two rakats. The orphan was with me, i.e. in the first row. And the old lady, my grandmother radiyallahu stood behind us. So let's look at this. So I mentioned this prior, but again it's relevant. So this clearly indicates that this was of course his grandmother, Malika, his maternal grandmother, i.e. Um Salim's mother. And note how often the Prophet would go to their dwellings. And after he ate some of it, he did not eat all of the food, he offered a prayer. And Anas, he brought out a prayer mat. And the prayer mat was black owing to excessive use. So to soften it, he sprinkled water upon it. And then the Prophet stood upon the mat, offered two rakats. And the sequence was that Anas was standing behind him with an orphan. And his grandmother, Malaika, was standing behind. So the Prophet was in the front, sallallahu alayhi wa offering the prayer. Two of the youngsters behind him and Malaika in the back. This Sahih Hadith proves that a prayer mat is from the Sunnah. So you get the Rawafit who say the prayer is not valid or it's greatly flawed if you don't, your head does not touch the ground. And the response is, there's no harm in touching the ground. The prayer, of course, there's nothing wrong with this. But to put a condition that the prayer is either invalid or greatly flawed, then that is clearly a, a great error. Here the Prophet prayed on a prayer mat. And not only was it a prayer mat, it was black owing to excessive use. The Prophet didn't say, what's this prayer mat? You know, why are you praying on a prayer mat? He said nothing of that sort. The second thing we can take from this Sahih Hadith, is an optional congregational prayer may be offered with at least three people behind the Imam himself. <coughs> so the Hanafis, Rahimahumullah, they state that an optional prayer, for example, Tahajjid, 
There is no harm, inshallah, with two or three playing behind an imam. But they frown upon greater numbers. <laughs> and the reason I believe they frown upon greater numbers is because it starts to resemble an obligatory play. <laughs> and the reason they stay two or three, this is the report. The Prophet offered an optional prayer and there was three blessed souls behind it. <laughs> so again, this is something worth pointing out. However, if the prayer is offered in a grand number behind an imam, the prayer is still valid. Though it's frowned upon according to the Hanafis. <laughs> Indeed, it was his blessed grandmother Sayyida Malaika radiallahu who would urge her grandson to constantly serve our beloved messenger. How do we know? Sayyidina Anas radiallahu said, My mother and grandmother always exhorted me to serve the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa This is in Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al-Musannaf, Abu Nu'im, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 785 of the old English translation. So Lord is not just his mother who was always helping her son, it was also his blessed uh, maternal grandmother who would encourage him to serve the Prophet <laughs> May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with Sayyidah Malika radiyallahu and forgive us all for her honorable sake. Amen. <clears throat> so another blessed female family member, his blessed maternal aunt Sayyidah Um Haram radiyallahu in Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Tirmidhi, Imam Ahmad in his Musnad 6-43 and Allah Dabal Muftad number 88. Sayyidina Anas, he relates, One day myself, my mother, Um Suleim, and my aunt, Um Haram, anhum, were sitting together. Suddenly Rasulullah arrived, He asked, Shall I not offer Salat with you? Although no Salat was due at the time, thus he led us in Salat. One of the men present asked Anas, where were you placed during the Salat? He answered by saying that he was made to stand on the right hand side of the Prophet i.e. with his mother and aunt standing behind. So this is recorded in Bukhari and Muslim. So now who is mentioned? His aunt. And note... Allahu Akbar, how often our beloved Messenger would offer Salat in the blessed dwellings of the family of Anas. And you get this impression that this is a stress sunnah. <laughs> so when he was invited, he'd pray two rakats. And yet this is something strange now. Imagine you get invited for the meal and you go to somebody, a brother's or sister's dwelling and then you say, right, let's offer Salat. How strange is that? <laughs> I've invited you for, is it time for, what time? Are you praying the Fadr prayer? No, we pray that in Masjid. Just offer a nafal prayer together. And this is a sunnah. The Prophet ﷺ, and what's interesting here is, the Prophet ﷺ, if you look at both of the reports, with the grandmother and his aunt, they didn't request him to pray. They didn't say, Ya Rasulullah, could you offer a prayer so we could pray behind you? Not in the previous report, he goes, Arise, I shall now lead you in Salat. And in this report, he said, shall I not offer Salat with you? <laughs> and note again, how many were? Three. This is why the Hanafis mentioned three, because if you look at the reports, three are mentioned. But note the difference now. Because the male stands with the Prophet and stood to the right hand side of the Prophet. The female stood behind. <laughs> Sayyidina Um Haram was ultimately blessed with martyrdom. So in a famous report, it mentions... In Sayyid Bukhari, in 12 places, 
number going out to fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, boarding ships in the middle of the sea, indeed they are like kings on thrones. Um Haram thereupon eagerly said, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, please request Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I will be with them. He supplicated for her and he went back to sleep. So stop in the report. So Um Haram is also the kind of aunt of the Prophet. Why? Because it's a sister. Like I mentioned, Um Sulaim was the aunt of the Prophet. So Um Haram has the same relationship. So note, he's, he's having a nap in her dwelling as well. Because obviously being the aunt relationship. And then what happened? He wakes up smiling. So obviously something had happened. When she asked, the Prophet had seen some of the believers doing jihad on ships. Now this is a miracle. Because was there a naval fleet in the time of the Prophet? No. There was no jihad and see, let alone a naval fleet. And he goes, I saw them like kings sitting on thrones. So Um Haram, and this shows how eager they were for good. Even though she was a female, she goes, please make a dua that I be amongst them, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet made a dua and he had another nap. Again, he awoke smiling. Um Haram radiyallahu asked, Ya Rasulullah, why are you smiling? He said, another group of my ummah were shown to me. Going out to fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, boarding ships in the middle of the sea. Indeed, they are like kings on thrones. Um Haram eagerly again said, Ya Rasulullah, request Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I be amongst them. Rasulullah this time looked at her and said, Ante minal awwaleen. You will only be with the first group. This is not for the report. So, like I mentioned, a miracle, the Prophet seeing jihad and see it happened. Now he's told his aunt, Um Haram, you're not in the second group. Anas added, my aunt Um Haram was later married to Ubadah ibn As-Samit and she accompanied him when he went fighting by sea. Fi zamani Muawiyah. During Muawiyah's time, i.e. referring to Muawiyah's sea campaign, not his Khalifat. For this was during Uthman's Khalifat, which was the first time the Muslims fought by sea. So stop in the report. So this is a mistake. Some people, they look at the report and they say that the naval fleet was during Muawiyah's reign. But the wording is Fi Zamani Muawiyah, during Muawiyah's era. So that could mean Khalifat. 
But it's not referring to the Khalifat. Why? Because the naval fleet was established in Uthman's Khalifat. And he was in charge, Muawiyah. So you could say it was his reign. And this was the first time. And who had accompanied that batch? Um Haram. And her husband, Ubadah ibn Asamit. In that encounter, they conquered Cyprus. And upon their return to Asham, Um Haram radiyallahu passed away by falling off a mule that she was riding. So look how amazing. She went on that campaign. The prophecy was fulfilled. But when she was returning to Sham, she had a fall. And from that fall, she passed away. One report says, I think her neck was broke. So the Prophet said, how did you know that? <laughs> you know, people say, what prophecies? And then you think, you know, if you're a Muslim, shame on you. Don't you know anything about the Prophet? But then you look and you think, well, there's one. <laughs> And if you notice about the prophecies of the Prophet, they weren't gentle. You know, like you say, there's going to be plagues and there's going to be wars. Well, bound to be plagues and wars. The Prophet's prophecies were specific. And notice he said, you are not in the second batch. How did he know that? Allah Ta'ala revealed it to And this is recorded in Bukhari in 12 places. Look how interesting. In another report, our beloved messenger had given the great glad tidings, paradise, will be granted to the first batch of my followers who will undertake a naval expedition. SubhanAllah. Paradise will be granted to the first batch of my followers who will undertake a naval expedition. This is in Sahih Bukhari, number 2924. So who was in that first batch? So Muawiyah was the Amir at the time. So he's granted paradise. Ubadi ibn Asabit Badri, he's granted paradise. Um Haram. In fact, all those noble souls on that first naval expedition have been promised, promised paradise by no other than our beloved messenger himself. Allahu Akbar. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with the noble Mujahida Sayyida Um Haram and forgive us all for her honorable sake. Amen. So now what's interesting, the jihad and sea is actually more rewarding than the jihad and land. One report authentic says it's a double reward. So the reward is not just what the Prophet mentioned, the first batch. There's tremendous incentives for fighting. The Prophet actually said that a person who vomits due to seasickness during a campaign on sea, it's like he's covered in his own blood during jihad. So even when a person you know feels sick, he's not even fighting. He's on the ship, but he's just you know sick. Allah Ta'ala gives him the reward of being covered with his own blood. And there's so many virtues. So note, the Prophet promised this, prophesied and it happened. Who was the husband of Um Haram? Ubadah ibn As-Samit. Ubadah ibn As-Samit was Badri. And he's buried in Jerusalem. So if you go there, at least you know who he is. Uh, and also he's one of those who pledged allegiance in the Pledge of Aqaba. You know, he, was, he had an immense status. With Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who was his wife? Um Haram. So let's turn to another family member of Anas. So why am I mentioning all this? Look who he's surrounded by. You know, when people say, where did he come from? He didn't just come out of a vacuum, right? You say he's surrounded by people of paradise. So let's now turn to his paternal uncle, his father's brother, Sayyidina Anas ibn Nadr. So this narration, 
is in Sayyih Bukhari. Sayyih Muslim number 4683. Nasai Tirmadi Hassan Sayyih. Ahmadin is Musnad, Tarheeb, volume 2, page 46. Ayat al Sabah, volume 2, page 207 to 8 of the New English Translation. Anas, he relates, Radiyallah. So now you could query this. Why is Anas relating all this? <laughs> People got some sick minds. Because, oh, that's interesting. He's always, why is he? Because he's, he's the family. <laughs> he's on the face of you thinking, why is he always narrating it? But I've just explained that he's living amongst them. So not everything I'm narrating, Anas narrates, Anas narrates. So again, Anas narrates, Radiyallah. My paternal uncle Anas ibn Nadr, radiyallah, bitterly regretted his inability to participate in the battle of Badr. He thereupon addressed Rasulullah and he said, I was unable to participate in the first opportunity to the fight against the polytheists. Thus, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affords the Muslims the opportunity to fight them again, I shall show my metal and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will see what I can do. Let's open the report. So Anas explains, this is my uncle. So Malik, his father, sadly died without Iman. Fortunately, his brother didn't. He was a Muslim. Anas ibn another. And he missed Badr. And he was so upset. Now, when you say miss Badr, it doesn't mean they avoided it. Badr was just chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their intention was a caravan. But they were still good because they realized this was the first campaign. So he was so like, you know, envious. And he goes, if I get the chance, Allah Ta'ala will see what I can do. But now there's a commentary here. Hafiz Salahuddin Yusuf in his commentary of Riyadh al-Salihin, number 1318, he comments here. Through these words, Anas ibn Nadr expressed in very cautious words, his determination to fight chival- chivalrously but refrain from making any claim or pretension. Here we have a lesson that if one intends to do a good deed, he should not make any tall claims about it, but do it with his utmost effort when the time arrives. For Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will certainly make it manifest to the people. So this is a very important point the Shaykh has mentioned. What did Anas ibn another say? He didn't say, you're going to see. What he said was, Allah will see what I can do. So he was cautious. And the lesson here is, don't blow your own trumpet like we say. For example, how many times have you heard this? When Imam Mahdi comes, I'm going to be his right hand man. Right? And you go, brother, look. Right? Do you play fashion? Right? And he goes, I'm like, it. Right? And he goes, look, if I'm not being funny, he couldn't even live blank you. Right? And now you want to be right and man of Imam Mahdi. So what do we say? You say, you make a positive statement, but you say, Allah Ta'ala knows best. I hope I'm with the Honorable Imam. So we learn that from here. Anas Ibn another. The report continues. Consequently, he participated in the battle of Uhud. When the Muslims suffered a reversal in the battle, he made a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he said, O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I apologize for what the believers have done and I absolve myself from what the unbelievers have done. Look how beautiful he made a dua. He didn't, you know, criticize the believers. Say, how could you have left the Prophet in the battlefield? He made a dua. He goes, I apologize for what they have done. Meaning, I'm not responsible. But I apologize on their behalf. 
And then he goes, and I've got nothing to do with the kuffar of them. Saying this, he advanced into the enemy lines. He passed by Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, and he said, Ya Sa'ad, I swear by the Lord of Nadr, my father, I can smell the fragrance of paradise coming from the direction of Uhud. So commentary. This was Kashaf, spiritual opening of Anas ibn Nadr. Allah the Almighty opened for him a window of paradise and he began to perceive its fragrance. How do we know? Imam Nawawi said, Rahmatullah in Sharh Sahih Muslim, volume 2, page 139. This hadith means what the apparent words say. That is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made Anas ibn Nadr perceive the fragrance of paradise. So don't, you know, you get some people figure the speech. You know what I mean? He goes, he didn't really smell paradise, but he could see, he knew that by going forward, <laughs> he'll get to paradise. And then you say, so who said that then? He goes, that's my opinion, right? And he goes, you know, like one scholar would say, stuff your opinion, <laughs> right? So, and because who said that? One of the tabi'in. Somebody asked him a question and he said, I don't know. Then he goes, what's your opinion? He's put it in the bin. <laughs> right? But now people are proud of their opinions. Well, I think, I don't know what you think. Right? So Imam Nawawi Rahmatullah said, he smelt it. So somebody said, how could he smell paradise? Paradise, where is paradise? Allah Ta'ala gave a gift to him. Now what's interesting, did the other Sahaba smell it? No. He's going past Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad. He told him. Sa'ad later said, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I would never have been able to do what he did. Meaning, he was so brave, Ya Rasulullah. So now what does that mean? Does that mean Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad left the battlefield? And the answer is, he did. Where did he go? He went up to the face of Uhud. So, putting it simply, the Sahaba split into four camps. All because of the rumor that he's passed away. The prophets passed away. Shaitan spread the rumor because he's been killed. Muhammad has been killed. So some Sahaba, they didn't leave his side. For example, Talha, Musab ibn Umar. Some of the Sahaba, they didn't know. They couldn't see him. So they just flung themselves into the battle because there's no point living if he's passed. Amongst these was Ali and Anas ibn Nadr. Others, they didn't know where the Prophet was. They retreated onto Mount Uhud, trying to regroup. Amongst them was Umar and other companions. And the fourth left the battlefield. They thought we would regroup back in Al Madina where our brothers are waiting. Amongst them was Uthman. So all of that indicates that none of them were cowards. Why is that important to highlight? Because the Wafid have a field day here. They love talking about Uhud. They go, they fled. They, where did they fled to the, to Barnsley? Where did they go? Right? You know, what are you talking about? So you have to explain because of the rumor of the Prophet's passing. So Sa'ad said, and he was an Uhud, Ya Rasulullah, I could never do what Anas did. Meaning he was so brave. He goes, he wanted to die not seeing you. Anas continued. There was more than 80 sword, spear and arrow wounds on his body. Subhanallah. There was more than 80 sword, spear and arrow wounds on his body. When his body was found, 
It was also badly mutilated by the unbelievers. Thus, it was only his sister who recognized his body and that too by his fingertips. Subhanallah, <laughs> so stop in the report. So how brave did he fight? All his nephew said was, he had more than 80 wounds. And the wounds were made by swords, that means short range, spears, mid-range, and arrows, long range. So what does that tell you? Right? If somebody goes to you, well, I don't need to, I'm not an expert on battle, brother. But if he's struck by short, intermediate, and long-range weapons, what else can he have offered? Then he was mutilated. Why? Because the unbelievers mutilated the martyrs. And his sister, imagine, she recognized him by his fingertips. So think about that. If somebody goes to you, how did she recognize him? He goes, not by a birthmark, not by this, by his fingertips. How badly was he mutilated? Anas ibn Malik then said, we all believed it was in reference to my uncle and his like that Allah the Almighty revealed the following verse. In Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah 33, Amongst the believers, there are men who are true to their pledge, their vow to Allah, i.e. that they will fight until they give their lives. Of them is he who has fulfilled his pledge, my martyrdom, and he who is waiting I to be martyred. Indeed, they have not changed their resolve in the least, i.e. unlike the hypocrites. So this completes the report in Bukhari and Muslim. So what did Anas ibn Malik say? He goes, we believe that these, this verse was revealed because of my uncle and his like. And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? He mentions categories of believers. The first category are those who have been true to their pledge. So what did his, what was his pledge? He goes, Allah Ta'ala will see how I fight. Allah Ta'ala praised him because he fulfilled his vow. Then Allah Ta'ala says, some are still waiting, meaning they fought bravely, but they're waiting for martyrdom. I just like Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, look how touching. Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad mentioned, I can't be like him. And he was like him because he was martyred in the next campaign, in the battle of uh, the trench. And then Allah Ta'ala says, they have not changed in the least, meaning they are determined. So how proud must Anas have been of his uncle? Think about that. He's narrating now about his child. We call him Chacha, dad's brother. But in Uhud, he lost his uncle. So note the incredible personalities around Sayyidina Anas radiallahu. And of course, this had a most profound impact upon his, his, uh, his understanding of the glorious deen. So all I mentioned today was mentioning a few of the other blessed personalities of his family, his beloved grandmother, Sayyidah Mulaika radiallahu, his beloved aunt, Sayyidah Um Haram radiallahu, and his beloved paternal uncle, Sayyidina Anas ibn Nadr radiallahu. Are there any questions? Subhanallah <laughs>